Welcome to Get Down to College Business. We will identify strategies that could make the difference between keeping university doors open and closing them for good. I'm pulling in business experts and higher ed leaders to debate the merits of strategies that could save the future of higher ed. I'm your host, Sarah Holton, PhD. Let's get down to college business. Hi, everyone. This is Sarah Holton and your host. I'm joined today by Dr. Patrick Jones, the chancellor at Penn State Schuylkill. This campus is one of 24 campuses in the Penn State system. Welcome, Patrick. Thank you, Sarah. Pleasure to be here. The National Association of Colleges and Employers reported just last year in 2022 that 65% of employers want to hire someone with direct career experience. One of the distinctives of the Schuylkill campus is its co-op program. It's an optional program. Students work on this for four years. They take three full-time work experiences directly related to their careers, in addition to all their classroom education. The goal is to graduate a student with a degree and a resume. And we know that society is questioning the value of degrees today. And so I wanted to bring Patrick in to explore how the co-op program is one way to add market value to degrees. Patrick, let's start with an overview of the co-op program. Walk us through it. Sure. Well, Penn State's Google Co-op is a fully elective program. In fact, it's actually a series of electives. Students can opt in and out of the program. It complements their academic experience. It consists of four core courses that are co-op courses. Three of them are only one credit that they take their first three semesters. And as you said, they have three work experiences that fill in the summers for the most part. There's a three-month between the first and second year, three-month internship between the second and third, and then a six-month between the third and the fourth years. If they've planned their courses so they don't need any classes their fall of their fourth year, they can do six months full-time. Otherwise, they go three months full-time and three months part-time. In addition, there are numerous out-of-class experiences for these students. Career chats with alumni and other successful people to learn about different careers, programs that are geared towards their interviews, like mock interviews, dress for success. We have an etiquette dinner, so they learn how to handle that always scary meal that's associated with interviews. And so that's the program in a nutshell. But one thing I want to be clear on is it is cooperative in both senses of the term. It is cooperative in the sense that there is a six-month internship that's often called a co-op. We also have 76 employer partners in our consortium. So we are cooperating with the employers who bring a lot of value to us. They come to campus and provide a lot of these types of events. They recruit the students. They mentor them and give them opportunities. And the last partner in this that I'll speak about is our National Advisory Council. These are seasoned executives, most of whom are alumni of our campus and have retired. And they give us that strategic insight, make sure we continue to ask big questions. What's around the corner? What kind of degree programs might we want to be thinking about? And so on. And so that that all together is the program. I love the very clear connection to external partnerships and industry partners. And we'll get into some of that as we go forward. But tell me a little bit back up. How did this program even come to the Schuylkill campus? Because it's not really long-term program. It's relatively new, right? Correct. We launched it in the fall of 2020. So I came in January of 2019 to Penn State Schuylkill. And I'm a Penn State alumnus. So it was exciting to come home to Penn State. And as I met with the employers in the region, I heard the following. Can't get good people. Can't keep good people. 
So in 2019, employers were already feeling the challenge of talent pipeline development. Working with the employers and our Chamber of Commerce, we pitched this idea because we couldn't do it on our own. Would you work with us? They said yes. We then formed a committee of faculty and staff on campus called College to Career. How do we help our students better move from college to career? They came out not only with co-op, but with the idea of co-locating offices that support students into what's called our Career Development Center. We hired Kate Zimmerman, who is amazing. Uh, she started in the spring semester of 2020, before, before the pandemic. She started because you have to have somebody who's fully dedicated to running this kind of a program. And she launched it in fall of 2020, even though we were in the pandemic. So that's, that's how it came to being. It really is meeting the needs of our employers, and it's helping our students become job ready on day one. And so just to be clear, this is not just a robust internship program. This is like internship on steroids, or tell us about some of the very obvious distinctions between an internship program and a co-op, because I think most colleges have some kind of internship program, whether it's optional or required. But in your mind, can you just help us make that distinction clear? Yes. The difference is in a traditional internship program, the relationship, the student either it's a relationship with the academic side of the house or they're getting it outside of academic with an employer, but they tend to be a one-off experience. With co-op, all if you could imagine all the experiences that career services tend to provide, workshops on your resume, your cover letter, all those things that students tend to voluntarily go to towards the end of their four years. Imagine if you front-loaded all of that, and it's a one-hour-a-week elective. So from our very first semester, students take, they start developing their LinkedIn profile. They develop their cover letters and their resumes while they're in their first semester. They meet with employers in the spring semester of their first year, and they apply for internships. When they come back the second year, they take elective coursework that focuses on soft skills employers are looking for, working in teams, written communication, oral communication, problem solving, and so forth. So that builds on having had that first experience. Now, between their second and third year, they go for their second internship experience. When they come back, they're now in their major courses. And we had courses in every major that helped students prepare for internships that were typically towards the end of their time. We moved those into that third year. So that then helps embed them experiences within their major. And then they go out for the six months after that. So it, it is important to think of it as it's internships on steroids, as you said, Sarah. It's career services on steroids. It's also very intentional and designed to help the student from the first time they enter campus to think about how they're preparing for that career. That's really interesting that you get them in that first year. And I I like that you pointed that out as one of the distinctives is we don't wait until they're juniors or seniors to get that internship. And by then, quite frankly, maybe they're a little, they're not even in the right field, right? I've had students come back to me who've done their internship as senior and said, yeah, I don't really like this anymore. What am I going to do now? I just spent three and a half years preparing for a field I don't really like once I got in the field. And so I think that's really important. I would imagine just from a vocational belonging standpoint, that's really helpful. Like I already, as an 18, 19, 20-year-old, start to feel a connection to my future vocation, my occupation. Do you sense that from the students? That's precisely what happens. 
So we have the experiences where a student goes on their first internship and finds out this isn't what they want to do. And it's good that they find that out as a 19-year-old and they can change their major. We've had that happen. We have students go out and find out that they like one particular aspect, but not another. So for example, we had a student who found that she was very interested working with the coroner's office. And she was very interested in that type of work as a biology major. And her second internship, she worked with a large funeral home in Oklahoma, where she's from. And she found out that she didn't really like the business side of it. So it's helping her narrow those interests. Uh, We have another student who just started law school who used a series of internships to set herself up. She interned with a nonprofit in Washington, D.C. to learn about advocacy and lobbying on Capitol Hill. She interned with a law firm down the road from our campus. She served as a legislative fellow with the state legislature, and now she's in law school. Yeah, so it sounds like you've had some success stories that you can point to. Let's dig deeper into student success outcomes, because anytime we start a new program, we want to make sure that it comes back to us in spades, right? We don't want to put all those resources out there without knowing and having the data to show that it's success. So tell us about some of the student success outcomes you've seen. And if you know you have any of the social mobility numbers, job placement rates, employer satisfaction rates, please tell us all about those. Well, thanks for this question, because this really is an exciting part of the program. If you look at the literature on intensive internship programs, you will find that you expect to see higher grade point averages, higher retention rates, shorter time from degree completion to job in their field. And while we are relatively new, we are seeing all of those things. So students in co-op have a higher cumulative grade point average than their non-co-op cohort peers. Students in co-op have higher retention rates as high as 11 points higher than non-co-op peers in their cohorts. And while we are relatively new, there are students getting jobs directly in their field. There are students getting job offers before they graduate. There are students getting job offers at a place where they interned. I think the retention is one of those metrics that everybody would care about, right? I mean, of course, you want them to have job placement and and all that, not to diminish that. But when we think about retention, you said 11 points higher. That's a huge number. It is. Now, that depends on the cohort. It's different for our different cohorts. And that's the highest that we are. But it it makes a big difference. And it makes sense if you think about it. The students are seeing why they're going to school. They understand the value proposition. The employers are also motivating them. And the parents get it. But one of the more fun things to see is when we have our admissions events. And I have a session as the chancellor. I do just with the parents. And this program really resonates with them. So it helps with the admissions and it helps with retention. Yeah, I remember when I was first reading and hearing about the co-op program, it kind of like a light bulb went off and I was like, why don't we all have this? I know I, I was thinking back to my own undergraduate experience way back in the dinosaur days. And just because I was, I think, probably ambitious, I did four internships during my undergraduate degree, but I was highly unusual. I was only required to do one. I did four. I started the summer after my first sem- because I started mid-year, started the summer after my first year. So I was, I think I was only 18 years old. Of course, I didn't know what I was doing. I probably provided no real contribution, but I was there three days a week and I was exposed to the vernacular, the culture, the type of work activities that people were doing day in and day out. And then when I graduated a few years later, I actually had a job in my field ready to go. It was only part-time. But I worked up to full time and I was very excited because in the media, those jobs are really hard to get. And so you have to be 
the top of your game and very competitive to get those positions. And so, yeah, it was, it, it like clicked for me when I was reading about this quote. I was like, why doesn't everyone have that? So I guess I want to explore what it takes to get this going because it, it sounds great, but I'm sure there's a whole lot that has to be done before you can launch this kind of rigorous program. So tell us about the type of infrastructure that's needed to start and maintain this program. That's an excellent question. And I'll, I'll start by saying that uh, colleges and universities that are thinking about this already have most of the pieces in place. They probably already have career services professionals. They probably already have internship programs. Key is pulling that all together. So for us as a small campus of Penn State, the most important thing to do was to hire a director of cooperative and continuing education. If there isn't somebody who has this as their sole portfolio, at least to get it started, it would be very difficult. The number one complaints employers have about working with colleges and universities, well, actually there are two. One is we're difficult to navigate. They don't know who to talk to. The other is we're not responsive. So they reach out and it takes a long time for colleges and universities to get back. So what we did, this committee I talked about, we established a career development center is what we call it. And in there, we have the director of cooperative education, career services, alumni relations, academic advising, continuing education and workforce development, and they have one administrative assistant who serves them. That's key to this program, the staffing. So employers know where to go. And they're going to an office that's responsive to them, that understands the business community. So the advice that I would give to colleges and universities wanting to start such a program is to think about that. How can you make sure that you have somebody who's going to be responsive to the employers, lead the program, and who has this really as the primary part of his or her portfolio? So that person is key. That person has to maybe have a foot in both worlds. Maybe they've had some industry experience and they are just on top of communication with industry partners. Because you're right, industry gets sort of frustrated with the slow pace of academia. Sometimes we have turnover in staff positions. Now, who do I go to? We'll forget them. They haven't responded in a week. It's I guess we're all over this. Move on, right? We mentally move on. We th And then it's hard to get them back, I would imagine, right? Once they've had an experience less than ideal, they're not going to come back and be down our doors to work with us again. So I like that idea of starting strong and knowing how important human capital and those positions are to making this really run. So when you were starting this up a few years ago, what were those key challenges that you faced? I mean, I'm, I know startups have all kinds of challenges, but maybe just highlight a few for us. So I'll start with the strengths we had where we already had strong employer relationships. And we had already been very involved with our Chamber of Commerce and the Northeast Pennsylvania Manufacturers and Employers Association, because you can't do this without the employer partners. The challenge was explaining what this is. People didn't necessarily understand what it was. Now that we've had, we're, we're in our fourth year, people understand what it is in our region. So that's a strength. The other challenge is funding for unpaid internships. So where all of our for-profit businesses and most of our nonprofits pay the students for internships, some entities can't pay. So I mentioned earlier a biology major with the coroner's office, the coroner's office can't pay, or a criminal justice major with the sheriff's department, the sheriff's department can't pay. 
So what we've done is work with donors who have been generous to us to start some endowed funds that we can then provide funding for the students so they can choose to do an otherwise unpaid internship. So the, the challenges at the beginning are understanding what this is, putting the right staffing in place, and looking for sources to fund unpaid internships. And I did forget to add, at the time we started this, Pennsylvania had a program where employers could apply for some funding to help with internships. That money got uh, taken away with COVID, but we are hoping that will come back as well. Yeah, funding is always one of the big challenges. And I, I like that idea that you went externally to find funding for students. I know so many students just, they may love this unpaid internship concept, right? It's exactly what they want to do. It's going to set them up for their career. It's great networking, but I can't literally afford not to have a paid gig. And I know there's a lot of debate about the ethics of allowing unpaid internships. And it sounds like you've fallen on the side of we will find a way to fund them. That is certainly our goal. So what are employers saying? So the industry partners that you work with, what are they saying about the program? What do they love? And is there any room for improvement that they've shared with you? The employers love the program. They love the energy and the new ideas that the student interns bring. And they don't just give them busy work. It's exciting to learn about the projects that the students are doing with the employers, helping on marketing campaigns, or actually a student who interned with a district attorney's office talked about helping lawyers prep for trial. Variety of interesting things students are doing. We're setting up technology. So it's interesting to hear what they get to do. The employers are very happy with the work that the student interns make, provide. Sometimes they want them to come back. Some employers have hired the students as part-time employees to continue during the academic year. And the employers love the idea that working with us, we can help them address their talent pipeline needs. That's the number one concern of employers. And it's interesting that you started this before the employment pipeline was getting all the buzz that it is now. So it's almost like you got ahead of that curve and that challenge. So I'm ima imagining that your community is like, thank goodness they're here and thank goodness they had the foresight to start this. Okay, so that's what employers were saying. What about students? Do they see the relevance as we do? And do they embrace this the way that we hope they would embrace this? 22% of our students have opted in to co-op. Again, it is fully elective. The feedback, the testimonials we get from the students are really glowing. They speak with such maturity about the preparation that they received through the program. In particular, they praise the staff, the staff who helped them prepare for their interviews, who helped them secure internship interviews. They praise the employers for the experiences they receive. A lot of it for me is fun to follow on social media. And so, for example, on National Internship Day in the summer, employers will be posting, here's pictures of their interns, and they're praising their student interns for what they're doing. That just shows to me the, the relationship this program creates. So the students understand the value of it. The students praise the faculty and the staff and they praise their employers. So you mentioned you have 22% who opt in. What about that other 78%? What would be their source of resistance in opting into the program? So some of our degree programs are two years on our campus. So those students wouldn't necessarily do co-op. They're career focused already. Some of our programs already have clinical, for example, nursing. And at Penn State, Earlier, you said we were a system, but I do need to correct that. We are one university with 24 locations. 
students can start 275 degrees at any Penn State location and complete it wherever the other two years are offered. And so we have students, about 42% of our students come to us for two years and then transition to another Penn State campus. So for many of the students, they're just not thinking yet that this is what they want to do. There are, there are students who opt in later on into the program, but we, we hovered about 22%. Uh, it was 26% last year's first year students, 26% of those. So I, I anticipate that increasing over time, uh, bearing in mind that our current fourth year class, they didn't choose Penn State Schuylkill knowing this existed. So they're a smaller percentage of those fourth-year students. Yeah, and I think about some of the students I know who just starting college is plenty for their plate. And there might be maybe a handful of them who just say, I don't really understand what this is. I'll figure that out later. Let me just sort of get the lay of the land of college. And that extra maybe isn't as appealing because they are already kind of overwhelmed or at least just full with starting a a program. Okay, so why do you think some colleges might be hesitant to start this program? What would be maybe some thought patterns of people who say, I don't know if that works for us. I don't think that's what we're about. I think the following, and I recently had a conversation with the president of a very fine liberal arts college who wanted to know about the program. And I think that one is there's a fear that this is too vocational for their mission, when actually it isn't, I would argue. But I think there's a fear of that. And then there's just concern that they don't know what to do or they don't believe they have the ability. And it was in that conversation with that president where I said, what I said earlier, you actually have all the pieces in place. But what we did in designing Penn State's Google Co-op was shopping in our own closet, experiences that we already offered or elective courses that we could give uh, and putting them into a sequence. The, the other piece that I would offer is there's a wonderful national organization called the Cooperative Education and Internship Association. And one of the first things we did was send career services staff to their training program. And they they have the expertise. It is a national community of people who work in this field who are very generous with their expertise uh, and helping build a community. Our team has continued to return to their conferences. So I think the reasons are not sure if it aligns with their mission, afraid maybe they don't have the expertise or the resources to do it. All right. Thank you for that. And is there any type of college that you can think of where maybe a co-op wouldn't feel as like a necessary component of the educational experience for a student? I'm thinking in particular about schools with really strong networks, alumni base. What do you think about that? Is there a type of school where maybe this just they don't need it as much as maybe other types of school? Well, certainly elite institutions with very wealthy students have a student population that already has a network that they can use through their family and they bring that social capital with them. But still, those students are doing internships or some kinds of work experiences. So it's up to the institution to decide if the label co-op works for them. But even those elite institutions have career offices. They're still helping students find their way. And so I don't think that it's for any particular type of institution. I think this is a kind of experience. It is certainly what the American public is asking for. It's what our elected representatives are asking for. It's what parents are looking for. And so whatever you call it, this really is applied learning. My my background is music education. And so in my degree program, we did early field experiences in schools. We did student teaching. 
We didn't call it co-op, but that's what it is. It's really just student teaching or clinical experiences for all the other majors that don't have them. I really appreciate what you were saying, and you were smiling as you talked about the label of co-op. And all I could think about was, you know what? If you rebranded it and renamed it and gave it an acronym that sounded different, I bet it would be latched onto real quickly, right? Some acronym that no one can remember what it stands for, but now it has a different philosophical connotation attached to it. So we can work on that. All right. I want to talk about the details. Sometimes these programs are amazing, and we love the what they stand for and how they prepare our students for greater success in the world. But then we have some of those logistical issues. And one of those is this idea, is the program transfer friendly? So students who want to transfer into Penn State or any place that has this co-op or transfer out or after their two years, they go on to a different type of school. How do you make it transfer friendly? Because our program is completely elective, students can opt in at any time. So students can transfer to Penn State School and go right into co-op if they want to do it. I frequently get to ask this question from parents whose students are looking to do the two plus two Penn State model. So they'll say, this is a really great program you have at Penn State School. What happens my son or daughter leaves and goes to University Park, which is our largest campus? My answer is University Park has amazing career services, and they also have all kinds of internship opportunities. They just don't have this program that we have as a formalized program. But the students can take full advantage of what we have while they're here and then pick up with whatever the other uh, campus or if they would go to another institution has. And what I would also say is that if the student did the first two years of our co-op program, they would be so well prepared in a third year at another institution to walk right into career services and say, this is what I just did for these two years. How can I pick up now? And my guess is knowing career services professionals who have such a mentality of caring for students and helping them, they would be thrilled to have the student walk in and say, here's where I want to go. And they would be thrilled to help them. Schuylkill has an amazing example, and we can. I'll put your website in our show notes so you know, anyone can look at this later. But what are there other educational models for co-op that our listeners could go to? You've worked in other places that have had co-op programs. Do you know of any kind of models we could look at and say that's a best practice? Well, certainly gold standard in the United States, Drexel University in Philadelphia, Northeastern University in Boston. Those are some gold standards for co-op that are, are open to all majors because co-op originated in engineering. So there are some universities with long-standing co-op in their engineering programs. But in terms of institutions where all majors can take part in it, I would suggest taking a look at Penn State Google, at Drexel, at Northeastern. And as I mentioned earlier, the Cooperative Education and Internship Association, because there are many universities doing this across the country for certain majors. And the, the folks in that organization are the professionals who make these things run and really take good care of students. And as I said before, they are generous and wanting to help you be successful. It's great to have those resources, right? As educators, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Somebody has figured out the kinks and they can help us through this and maybe streamline our own process if we wanted to start it or strengthen an existing co-op. Patrick, we're wrapping up here today, but I have one final question for you. You have had a rich higher ed leadership background. What's your best advice for college leaders to operate a viable institution? It could be related to co-op, but it does not have to be. So share your best advice for other college leaders out there. Wow, that's a pretty humbling question. 
We have to know our value proposition and we have to communicate it to all of our constituents in ways that they understand. I think that's where we tend to be challenged. We tend to use a lot of insider speak in higher education, and we don't understand that the audience we're speaking to might not understand what we mean. And we're often afraid of speaking in language as business friendly or in speaking in language that our elected representatives will understand. I believe as college leaders, that's part of our job. Our faculty are doing amazing things. Our staff are taking care of our students. Our students are succeeding in wonderful ways. How do we make sure that the business community understands what we're doing and how we bring value to their needs? How do we understand that the elected representatives, how do we make sure they understand the value we're bringing? How do we make sure that our donors understand the impact that their gifts have on making a difference in students' lives and faculty involvement in research, teaching, and our community engagement? So I I do think the biggest challenge we have in higher education, and that's what we're seeing, the criticism we're receiving, is understanding what we bring to the table and communicating it. That's great advice. I could not agree more. We have to be able to tell our own value proposition in a way that makes sense to outsiders. So Patrick, thank you so much for your time today. I am sure there's people who are going to want to reach out to you and learn more about the co-op program. So I'll be sure to include your LinkedIn profile as well as your website on our show notes. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure, Sarah. To support the cause of the affordable college experience, visit us at highlevelleadership.com. Read our blog and join our email list to get connected. Follow us and leave a positive review on your favorite podcast app. Let's get down to college business.